the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Come Together San Diego, a new live local show on K-Praise designed to explore what unity in the body of Christ sounds like within our communities and beyond. Don't just listen to it. Be a part of it. Now, here is your host, Bible teacher, writer, broadcaster, and lover of God, Kaz Taylor. Well, hello there, my friends, and oh, welcome to Come Together San Diego, a unique show in many different ways. This is the first show we've actually not only had a, uh, a guest co-host with me, but we, <laughs> are you ready for this? We have a guest engineer, and I have to mention him because he's a guy who's on the air here at uh, KPRZ Monday through Friday from about 5.30 a.m. to about 9 a.m. His name is Cameron John, and uh, we are so honored to have him as a guest engineer. Hey, Cameron, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you so much. <laughs> I am very honored to be here, and yeah, well... I do have to let out a little secret. Oh, what's the secret? A little secret of the business, the tricks of the trade. I am not actually up that early. Oh, oh, oh so it's pre-taped. It is. It's I'm pre-taped. Sorry. I'm sorry. It's, I, it's, I've it's, completely it's, just. It's pre. It's pre. It's pre. It's pre-taped. Yeah. Well, technically, <laughs> technically, I am actually up that early. Yes. And if you listen, I talk about that quite frequently. I am. My alarm goes off at five, and I'm up. Yeah, and I'm and I'm doing stuff. And are you worthwhile by that time? Five o'clock, you're you, you know. <laughs> okay, it takes me. You know, it, it'll take me <laughs> no more than like sixty thirty seconds. I like I like it. You, you work by sixties and thirties, don't you? I've, I've been in you, radio you, you, a very long time. <laughs> you know, my listening friend and, and Cameron, it's going to be a, a fun show at the full two hours, uh, Cameron, as you can tell because you read through the script. But uh, mm-hmm. I want to introduce our guest to one of the great guys of the universe. His name is Bill Federer. He's calling in, I believe from Florida, and he's with uh, uh, the American Minute, but Amerisearch is his organization, and he's a guy who actually knows a lot. He's a historian. He, he loves American history, but he also loves the Bible and Bible history, and we're going to spend a great deal of time on this show talking about some amazing things. The first thing as I introduce him, uh, I want to share a revelation and let Bill talk into this. Bill Federer, glad to have you with us today. Are you there? Yeah, it's great to be with you. Oh, yes, it's a yes, pleasure. Great to be with you. And we can spill the beans. I don't think a lot of people actually know this. Uh, that um, today is really an, a, an important day. It's called the Bill of Rights Day. Is it not? Correct. Right. It was 1791 that uh, the Bill of Rights were added to the U.S. Constitution. And so the story is that the fear was that the federal government would get too powerful, like King George III, who appointed all the judges and would uh, actually have the writs of assistance where the government could read all your mail. Could you imagine that? (laughs) And uh, the government could come into your home, it could uh, arrest you, and you'd have to prove that you're innocent. And so these, uh, the fear was that this new federal government would become too powerful. So George Mason, Patrick Henry, Samuel Adams, 
they all pushed to put 10 handcuffs on the federal government. We call them the first 10 amendments or the Bill of Rights. Yes. And so today, you know, you know, I ask a handful of people through the day, I said, can you guess what day today it is? They go, not a clue. I said, what do you mean you don't know? This is the Bill of Rights Day. So <laughs> actually, this was a day set aside. Is that correct, Bill? Right, by our U.S. government. And uh, there's many uh, localities that have big events. I was in uh, Evansville, Indiana, and they have a big uh, citywide event celebrating the Bill of Rights. And uh, But the idea is that the most common form of government in world history is a king. Pharaoh, Caesar, Kaiser, Sultan, Tsar. And as the centuries go on, the kingdoms get bigger. From Nimrod Tower of Babel to the Egyptian pharaohs, Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar. Uh, and the kingdoms keep getting bigger. Why? Because military technology advances. And uh, iron is stronger than bronze. And then you have steel and the phalanx, the big you know, 12-foot spear that the Greeks had. And the com- composite bow, the little curved bow that the Mongols had. And then the invention of gunpowder. So as the weapons increase, you can kill more people, but it all goes back to that same fallen nature of Cain killing Abel. Yes, yes, yes. Selfishness coming into the human DNA. So you put some babies in a playpen, one takes the rattle from the others. Put some kids on a playground, one's the bully hogging the ball. Well, uh, and, and Bill, I think if we, if we fast forward for a couple hundred years in the United States, the, the weapon these days seems to be, be beyond uh, armory like that, and it's uh, uh, empowering, what, do you, what are you saying, uh, it's uh, politics. And oftentimes you can, uh, what, there's a phrase that people use about uh, weaponizing uh, different things things like weaponizing the Constitution or weaponizing this, that, or the other, uh, and that's a whole different weapon, but uh, we need to pay close attention to that. So the, the Bill of yeah, Rights has been under fire uh, ever since its inception, and now it's under fire from the weaponization of politics. Would you speak briefly on that? Because we're going to get into that in future, future segments. Right. Well, and, and the information, the NSA, uh, you know, the IRS, they used to be uh, trying to present themselves as not favoring one political party over another. But under the previous president, we've seen uh, the head of the IRS meeting uh, nearly 150 times with the president and find out later that they're targeting conservative groups. Yes. And then we find out that the previous administration had been using the NSA to dig up dirt on Republicans. Yes. And when they somebody in the NSA said, no, you're not supposed to do this, they said, OK, well, we need to go to the FISA court and get uh, a rubber stamp government position. Well, that required somebody to go into the FISA court and say we so they had to create some evidence. Uh, they created this um, fusion GPS document and uh, and then they used that to spy on the Republicans. And then when a Republican actually won the election, all these people are like, oh, we're going to get caught. We need to do something. Let's blame the opponent for what we did. Yes. And so that's basically what's been happening is that Mueller's been going through trying to destroy all the evidence that could pin him and all the deep state people. So yes. he gets Peter Strzok's phone and what does he do? Erase it all. Fact so puts it back to fact destroys all the hard drives that Hillary Clinton had. I mean, it's unbelievable. Yes. But basically they 
they're playing defense by playing offense. I, 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 that is so as true. Bill, let me ask you a question. I want because I want to keep this uh, focused on uh, the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. And sometimes we forget when we're watching the news how great a violation this is of the original precepts of the original founding forefathers. Talk a little bit about their intent to safeguard this and uh, today's attempt to violate it. Well, our former government, John Adams, said it pretty succinctly. He said, our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate for the government and any other. What does he mean? Our government was designed to govern people who could govern themselves. And the, this goes back to uh, the founding fathers that wrote the Constitution they did an examination. It was um, uh, several professors, and they read through thousands of documents written by all the founding fathers and found out that, gee, the number one most quoted source by the 55 men that wrote our Constitution throughout all their writings in their lives is the Bible, and particularly the Old Testament and the book of Deuteronomy. You think Deuteronomy? <laughs> right. It's the book of laws, and they're writing laws. These are the 55 guys that wrote our Constitution, so they studied the book of laws. And so you go back to the colonial founding of America in New England, you have pastors founding communities. Reverend Thomas Hooker founds Hartford, Connecticut. Reverend Roger Williams founds Providence, Rhode Island. You got, you know, Reverend, you know, John Winthrop helping to found Massachusetts. And, and what did they quote from? The Bible. Yes. But particularly that first 400 years when Israel comes out of Egypt, before they get King Saul. It's called the Hebrew Republic. And I wrote uh, several books, but one of them is called Who is the King in America? And I go through all of recorded human history from the beginning of the invention of writing, Sumerian cuneiform on clay tablets in the Mesopotamian Valley around three or 4,000 B.C. From the beginning of the invention of writing, the most common form of government's a king. Ancient Israel, around 1400 B.C., they come out of Egypt. For 400 years, they have no king. It's, Israel is literally the first instance in recorded history of a nation with millions of people and no king. Yes. You know, Bill, I, I'm gonna, every once in a while I'm going to have to dip in here because I, want, I have to be sensitive to the commercials and the clock. But my listening friend, are you hearing what uh, Bill's saying about, you know, this form of government, government uh, was foreshadowed uh, in, the, in the early scriptural days, uh, the Judeo way of doing business before they actually had kings. There was <clears throat> a judgment, uh, a judge mentality set up, and they had a moral code, and that moral code could not uh, be violated. Today, in today's vernacular, we would say, we would call it, Bill, is that correct, the Judeo-Christian lifestyle? Right. Um, real quick, if you can imagine a line, a spectrum of power. One side's total government, the other side's no government. Total government, you have power concentrated into the hands of one person, a king, Pharaoh, Caesar, and he rules through fear. You do what he says or he kills you. The other side of the spectrum is no government. Uh, that would be anarchy. No government unless each person is taught the law. Right. It's like everybody downloads a behavioral app on their iPhone. Instead of a GPS <laughs> telling you where to turn, it tells you how to act. And the Levites were the computer geeks that help you to download the app. <laughs> but the big question is, why would you follow it? 
Yes. And, and Israel and, had the key, the key ingredient. There's a God who's watching everyone. He wants you to be fair. He's going to hold you accountable in the future. Yes, Bill He's Federer, you're with me for the entire two hours, and I'm really honored. My listening friend, I guess you could tell that Bill's like a fire hydrant. If you want to take a drink, plan on getting <laughs> a little bit wet. You know, we're uh, Bill, through the whole show, we're going to be talking about, and particularly this first uh, this first hour, we're going to be talking about the threat against the Judeo-Christian lifestyle in America. And uh, a lot of this actually is reflective of things that happened in Israel way back when. It's an interesting parallel. We're going to get into that as well. But my friend, if you are concerned about our beloved country, the things that Bill Federer has to share with you will open your eyes. And uh, we're going to dip into past history, not only past American history, but past Hebrew history as well. And, you know, find something out about uh, how, how people respond to different things and God's solutions for that. And it's called the Holy Scripture. And in the United States, beyond the, in addition to the Holy Scripture, it's also called the U.S. Constitution and the Bill of Rights. Bill Federer is with me from uh, the... Um, AmeriSearch and the American Minute radio broadcast and uh, Bill and I will be right back with a bunch of other wild and crazy stuff. We will be right back. This is Come Together San Diego, the new live local show on FM 106.1 and AM 1210 K-Praise. More Come Together San Diego is just moments away. Now more of Come Together San Diego the new live local show on K-Praise. Here's Cass Taylor. December 15th, 2018, and you know what <clears throat> December 15th is. Well, doesn't everybody know that today <laughs> is called Bill of Rights Day? Very few of us do. Uh, my guest, uh, we have another bill besides Bill of Rights Day. We have Bill Federer. He's none other than the American Minute Bill Federer, and many of you will know him by virtue of that, and AmeriSearch. Those are his organizations, and he does broadcasts very, very frequently, so you would be familiar with him in other venues. <clears throat> but he's here to help us comprehend the natural and the spiritual dangers that are coming against this country, and a lot of it has to do with the sanctity of God's Word and the sanctity of God Himself, which is uh, the, the Constitution and the Bill of Rights are steeped in these truths, the, the sanctity of God and the sanctity of His Word. Bill Federer, of course, there's always a danger, and they, our four founding forefathers knew there would be a danger in abandoning our roots, and uh, <clears throat> much of that threat is in our face as we look at the news and the things that are going on on a day-to-day basis in the United States. Care to uh, give us further input on that, Bill Federer, my friend? Sure, sure. Well, uh, I I do think it's worthwhile going back to ancient Israel. You know, our U.S. Constitution was written, but it needed to be ratified by the states. There were 13, so that meant they needed nine states to ratify the Constitution. Um, They had eight, and New Hampshire was in line to be the ninth, but it was having a deadlock. And so Harvard President Samuel Langdon gives an address in 1788 to the New Hampshire Ratifying Convention. The title of his address, The Republic of the Israelites, an example to the American states. Read that. Say that again, Bill. Say that again. The Republic of the Israelites, an example to the American states. 
And then he goes on saying, instead of the 12 tribes of Israel, Israel, we may substitute the 13 states of the American Union and see this application plainly. And he goes on uh, talking about this first 400-year period when Israel comes out of Egypt and they do not have a king. After his address, the New Hampshire delegates vote. They ratified the U.S. Constitution. They're the ninth state to do so. So that puts the U.S. Constitution into effect. Our U.S. Constitution went into effect after the sermon, the Republic of the Israelites, an example to the American states. Oh, my bill. So what is this example? So around 1400 B.C., Israel comes out of Egypt. Again, they are the first nation with millions of people and no king in all of recorded human history. And I've spent years researching through ancient Assyrians, ancient Elamites, ancient Persians, ancient Greeks, ancient Romans. They're all kings. 5,000 years of Chinese emperors, Indian Maharajas. Kings or pharaohs or Maharajas, yes. And, you know, you got Russian czars and uh, Genghis Khan, Attila the Hun. Everything concentrates into the hands of one person. It's just that selfish human nature. You put some people in the woods, one of them's an Indian chief. You put some people in an inner city, one of them's a gang leader. And all a king is, is a glorified gang leader. It's a pyramid structure to society. If you're friends with the king, you're more equal. If you're not friends with the king, you're less equal. And if you're an enemy of the king, you're dead. It's called treason. <laughs> or you're a slave. Bill, And it just repeats itself. Well, can I, can I interject something here? I'd like your input on this. Uh, in, a, in a manner of speaking, that's God's plan, too, but the king has to be him. And when you allow him to, you know, and he he rules in, in our hearts and uh, through Holy Spirit. And so the whole concept, much of the concept of the United States of America and the Constitution and the Bill of Rights has to do with him, the sanctity of the King of Kings, uh, the sanctity of God and his word. And as, as soon as, you know, uh, we we violate that, we're anarchists. So would, would that be a valid look at things as well, Bill Federer? Right. So God is a jealous God, and he wants to be the king over each person individually. What happens is you get a human king. He wants to insert himself between you and God. And so Nebuchadnezzar says, okay, when I have my trumpets blown, you bow to my statue. I don't care if you understand it. I don't care if you have a warm feeling in your heart. You bow. The king of England burnt William Tyndall at the stake. Why? Because he translated the Bible into English, and the king didn't like that. Um, Throughout the centuries, the kings would claim that they were divinely appointed, and they were the intermediary between you and God. Well, guess what? The God of the Bible is jealous. He doesn't want an intermediary. And the idea is that you, you take the power of a king, and you take it away from him, and you separate it into the hands of the people. It would be chaos. Unless each person is taught the law, but why do they follow the law? Each person is aware that there is a God watching them who wants them to be fair and is going to hold them individually accountable in the future. So you're about to steal. Nobody's around. You know you can get away with it. And then you think, God is watching me. He wants me to be fair. He's going to hold me accountable in the future. Maybe I should hesitate stealing. Wow. And it creates something in your brain called a conscience. <laughs> if everybody in the country believes this, you can maintain complete order and safety and security with no police. Yes. Maximum liberty. 
And so that's the model that America's founders look back to, this ancient Israel model, that, that we don't want a, a king of England who is a globalist. The king of England controlled 13 million square miles, a half a billion people. Uh, all of India, a quarter of the world's population right there. Australia, New Zealand, Hong Kong, British Guyana, the Bay of Bengal, all these places. And he was a globalist. America's founders decided they didn't want this king uh, deciding, divinely appointed, uh, claiming he was divinely appointed. And so America's founders flipped it. It's a polarity change in world government. Instead of top down, it's bottom up. Yes. And, and Bill, this, this, this is this was, you know, a lot of people call the American government the great experience. It's a great experiment. And uh, for many, many years, it worked well because we had some kind of moral fiber and some kind of connection to uh, God, the creator of the universe, uh, tied to this. But the more we exclude God, the more um, <clears throat> God's judgment has to be upon us because we're violating his precepts and we're doing harm to other people in the middle of that. In the next segments, Bill Federer, for the next couple of segments within this first hour, I'd like you to talk a little bit about the uh, ramifications. There's there's God-endued ramifications for following godly precepts versus not following godly precepts. And I'm afraid uh, the United States of America is right on the cusp of that right now. So we've got about a minute or so left in this segment. Why don't you set the stage for this? <clears throat> what I'd like to do in the next two segments of this first hour, Bill, is to talk about um, what happens or what are the ramifications, biblically speaking, uh, that uh, we are faced with when we do not heed the messages that are given to us in history and the Bible. And uh, so, and then the, the final segment in this first hour, we'll talk about uh, what happens when we do follow the, the heed the messages of the history of history in the Bible. It's going to be an amazing two remaining segments. But why don't you set the stage for this? Take about 30 seconds to set the stage for this, and then we'll just dive into this in the last two segments of this hour. And my listening friend, Bill Federer, is going to be with us for the entire two-hour show, so wait till you hear what he's got um, in his hip pocket for the final hour as well. So, Bill, talk a little bit about the dangers of not heeding the messages from the history and the Bible versus the positive ramifications for it, and then we'll get into it uh, right after the break. Bill Federer. Well, uh, President Reagan said, without God, there is no virtue because there's no prompting of the conscience. In other words, in ancient Israel's era, they finally had these priests like Eli who stopped teaching the law. His own sons were sleeping with women in the tent of meeting where the Holy Ark is, and it turns into chaos, and they're having concubines being raped by sodomites. I mean, all kinds of terrible stuff. And finally, the people go to Samuel the prophet, and they say, uh, this isn't working anymore. We want to be like all the other countries. We want a king. And so the, uh, the attitude is, if America, we forget God, and we're telling kids in school, do whatever you want. Feel like a boy today, girl tomorrow, anything goes. And the kids do whatever they want, and turns into lawlessness and chaos. Out of that chaos comes a, a call for a king. Yes. A call for some strong government to restore order. And when that happens, the polarity changes back from bottom-up people ruling to top-down government Yes. Ruling. And Bill, Bill Federer, stay with us, because now we're going to talk about the ramifications of that. And we're beginning to see those ramifications in the United States of America. I think, my friends, you're in for an eye-opening time in the next two segments of this first hour, as Bill Federer and I uh, uh, get ready to show you and illustrate to you from not only Scripture, but history in America, what happens when we do not heed the messages from history and the Bible. Bill Federer and Kaz will be right back. (laughs) 
This is Come Together San Diego, the new live local show on FM 106.1 and AM 1210. K-Praise. More Come Together San Diego is just moments away. Hello, San Diego. This is Rick Sines from uh, Red Seal Ministries. I just bless you and ask you just to receive the love of the Lord at this time, uh, this open season we have in San Diego. Now, more of Come Together San Diego on K-Praise. Here's Kaz Taylor. Well, welcome back, my friends. Uh, Co-host Bill Federer uh, of the American Minute and Amerisearch. He does radio broadcasts all over the United States often, and uh, we're so honored to have him for this entire two hours. We're talking about uh, the ramifications if God's people basically do not heed the messages of history in the Bible, but it also goes with others as well. But we, as a kind of... uh, procurers of scripture uh, we really need to be the f- a forerunner in this and America has gone awry and uh, Bill uh, I'm glad to have you with me let me Bill Federer let me read you a couple of scriptures that our listeners can listen in on and then I'm going to have you launch off uh, on those and the theme we want to do in this segment is what are the ramifications uh, if we do not he- heed history and the Bible of course history not only American history but if you go way back to Israel's history there as well so uh, would you allow me to read a couple scriptures here Bill and then launch into your your input on this yes okay let me give a couple scriptures here Second Chronicles uh, seven fourteen, and the scripture says if my people who are called by my name If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. But, you know, the the presumption there is or the the unspoken thing is there if you do not uh, 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 proclaim. Uh, the errors of the ways God will not heal the land and my friend America is in 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 danger right now of we believers kind of uh, disregarding God's precepts and then let me give you one last scripture here and then I'm going to have Bill Federer uh, jump on in and give his historical and um, uh, his uh, historical point of view from a, a, a Israel biblical standpoint and also from the United States of America standpoint. And this is in Malachi, the very last verses. And in Malachi 4, it says, Behold, I will send to you the prophet Elijah before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come, and listen to this, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. My friend, there's a, there's a price to pay if we do not heed God's call. And this was true in Israel's day, and it is true in America's day. And now I'm going to allow, uh, invite uh, America, America Minute uh, uh, and Amerisearch Bill Federer to jump on in and take the rest of this segment, which is probably about eight minutes, to give further insights on that fact. Bill Federer, lay it on us. Well, thank you, Kaz. And uh, the Second Chronicles seven fourteen uh, that is such an important verse, and it's God, uh, you know, back during that era, calling ancient Israel to turn back to Him, but also calling us today to turn back to Him. But if we go back to, to ancient Israel. There's some very interesting things that I'd like to point out. Ancient Israel was the first nation where there was the concept of equality, right? So wherever there's a king, if you're friends with the king, you're more equal. If you're not friends with the king, you're less equal. If you're an enemy of the king, you're dead. It's called treason or you're a slave. (laughs) Ancient Israel had no king for 400 years. 
So everyone you see is equal to you. There's no royal family somewhere that everybody's trying to butt it up to. So ancient Israel is the beginning of the concept of equality. And throughout, it says that there is no respect of persons uh, with God. Number two, Israel is the first nation with the idea of tolerance. So here, uh, you know, at a time where you got Nebuchadnezzar blowing his trumpet saying, bow to my statue and so forth, um, ancient Israel, worshiping the one true God, they never felt compelled to force anyone to worship the one true God. They had strangers living amongst them. They didn't make the stranger go get a lamb and bring it to the temple. Uh, They realized that God is only once your worship if it's voluntarily given. It goes back to the concept of free will and that God creates the universe. He makes everything follow laws, laws of gravity, laws of science, laws of planetary motion, right? And and he has laws for, for humans to interact with each other. The only difference is we have the choice as to whether or not we're going to follow the law. But he's still a God of laws. And uh, and so he gives us the choice of whether or not, you know, we're going to voluntarily follow him or not. And um, and that's basically the, the, the underlying idea behind love. So uh, the uh, love, by its very nature, must be voluntarily given. Uh, once it's forced, it's no longer love. It may be submission, it may be obedience, but it's not love. And God is a God of love, and the more you love someone, the more you want that someone to love you back. God loves each of us infinitely. He has an infinite desire for us to love him back. He doesn't need our love any more than parents don't need to have kids, but they sort of want to have kids, and they want to pour their love into their children. And they they don't need the child to love them back, but they would appreciate it, you know. And so, um, so the idea is that God loves us. He wants us to love him back, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But for our love of God to be loved, it must be voluntarily given. Yes. And so that's the idea that he set up this thing we called reality so that the we, we really don't have control over hardly anything uh, other than our will. And so it's us having an opportunity to, with our free will, to choose God. Yes. And um, I can get into it more. Well, but but I, I, what I'd like for you to do right now, Bill, is, let me give another scripture, because uh, in Isaiah 520, it says, Woe unto those who call evil good and good evil, and who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. As you look in the United States today, a lot of people who have violated the Judeo-Christian principles, who are violating the constitutional and Bill of Rights principles are actually doing this thing. And by virtue of Scripture from the history in, in, in the Old Testament and uh, history that you've seen in America and other countries, what are the repercussions for this kind of thing? I want to get into the repercussions because the next segment I want us to spend on what the positive repercussions are if we pursue God. So in the remainder of this segment. We've got maybe four or five minutes in this bill. Kind of give us an idea of what hap- what what happens. We put ourselves in a in a in a collision course with God's will. And so what is what scripturally happens when people call good evil and evil good and uh, <clears throat> they call darkness light and light darkness. Bill Federer. Uh, well they lose the freedom. They lose control of themselves. Very similar to a parent giving the teenager the car keys and saying, look, you can come home whenever you want because I know you're going to do what's right. 
But if you don't do what's right and drink and drive and party, you're going to be pulled over by the police and thrown in jail. So, teenager, you are going to be controlled, either voluntarily from the inside or forcibly from the outside. It's the same way with the nation. We, either, we are either going to be voluntarily controlled by internal morals that we're accountable to God for, or we're going to teach our kids, give in your passions and lust, do whatever you want. You can feel like something today, whatever, tomorrow, and, and the kids do it, and it turns into chaos. Uh, and out of that, we're going to end up having the government to come in and say, okay, we're not only going to just collect everybody's guns, we're going to regulate your speech, we're going to control everything about your lives. And, and so that's the choice. Now, if I can talk about ancient Israel, what happened with them? Yes. So Eli, the high priest, the main guy that's supposed to be teaching the law, his own sons are sleeping with women in the tent of meeting. He's not even teaching a lot of his kids. And then you have a story of a Levite with a silver graven image in the house of a guy named Micah. The tribe of Dan comes along, takes him, takes the graven image and, and says, hey, come along with us, Levite. You can be a, a priest for the whole tribe of Dan. And, and you're scratching your head, asking yourself, what is this Levite doing with a silver graven image? Isn't it one of the commandments? You're not supposed to have graven images. It shows the priests were not following the law. And then there's the terrible story of a Levite with a concubine. The law said the Levite is to marry a virgin of his own tribe. Here he is with a woman not even married to. They're traveling. They're at a house surrounded by sodomites. That's what the Bible says. They bang on the door, and they're not content with doing their activity alone. They want to force it on other people. And anyway, the poor girl's raped and dies, and the story gets worse and worse. But finally, uh, it says every man did that which was right in their own eyes. Why? Because the priests had stopped teaching them what was right in the Lord's eyes. They lost the knowledge and fear of God. They lost the concept of the law. It turns into chaos. Every man does what's right in their own eyes. So they get, they all go to Samuel the prophet, and they say, we want to be like the other countries. We want a king. So they lose their individual freedoms, and now they got a king. His name is Saul. And an interesting story. Saul is pouting. Bill, 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 we have about one minute in this segment, so set this up to continue continue your story later, but set it up right here. So Saul is pouting that his son David made a league with, son Jonathan made made a friendship or league with David, and says nobody cares. And uh, a guy named Doeg, the Edomite, says, King, I care. I saw David go to the city of Nob, get the sword of Goliath, get some bread, and Saul said to the soldiers uh, bring those priests from that city here and then he says kill them and the men hesitate and Doeg says I'll kill them and he kills them all what just happened the soldiers had been operating under the old system where each person is individually accountable to God to follow the law the law says you need two or more witnesses before you send somebody to death and so they're hesitating they have a conscience still and Doeg Edomite says, King, I'm going to surrender my conscience to you. You tell me to kill, I'll kill. So what happens when you get a king, he's going to say, you have to get rid of your deeply held religious convictions. Right? If, if I say that there's no more marriage between a man or woman, you have to jump and follow me. If I say this and that, you have to just surrender your, your values and you have to do. And so that's what we're facing. We're moving in the direction of losing our individual freedoms and more control and history, whether it's communist governments or Muslim czars, they want to dictate uh, Muslim sultans. They want to dictate to you what you can believe. Yes. 
Bill Federer, thanks for sharing that. We're gonna, I, I hope you're being enticed here, my friend, to listen to more of what Bill has to say. Because the parallels are amazing. There, there's a phrase, phrase or a saying that says, if you don't pay attention to history, you're bound to repeat it. And America is in the mode right now of either repeating history and suffering the consequences or heeding God's instructions for this Judeo-Christian nation and seeing great bounty. Uh, Bill Federer of uh, AmeriSearch and American Minute uh, and Kaz. Uh, we're going to share more about that in this last segment in this hour and then the next hour we're going to go a completely different direction but I invite you to stay tuned right after this. More Come Together San Diego with Kaz Taylor is next on FM 106.1 and AM 1210 K-Praise. Now back to Come Together San Diego the new live local show with Kaz Taylor. FM 106.1 and AM 1210, K-Praise. And we're back. And uh, the phrase is this, history does repeat itself. And I'm with uh, uh, Bible historian extraordinaire and uh, the wise man who, who ministers through AmeriSearch and American Minute throughout the United States and possibly even beyond. Bill Federer, <clears throat> thank you for joining us, Bill Federer. We're excited to have you for both both hours of this show. We, uh, we, we ended the last segment talking about how history repeats itself and how um, if we have the wrong focus, uh, we're in deep trouble. You know, you know, Bill, what I was thinking during the break is I was thinking this. God never puts it on necessarily the heathen to do the right thing. His, he puts it on his people to do the right thing. And when we do the right thing, then uh, God intervenes and God's ways are seen. So a lot of this, the things that are going on in the United States, you know, Bill, I, I don't know about you, <laughs> but I spend a lot of time uh, dejected in front of the TV screen watching the news. And it really hurts my heart. And then God reminds me that the history is based on his believers doing the right thing, and he'll work all the other details out. Would you like to extrapolate on that a little bit, Bill Federer? Uh, Well, yeah. I think that um, it's one of these things where the country is uh, rediscovering the, the necessity of morals and value and internally. Uh, with each person, and um, it's a trade-off. It's, I love one of the quotes from uh, the President Gerald Ford, and he must have said it 150 times. The quote is, the government that is big enough to give you everything you want is big enough to take away everything you have. And if you want the government to provide for your health care and your welfare and in all the different areas and so forth, yeah, they'll do it, but they'll take away all your freedoms. Hmm. And uh, the founding father said, we don't want the government to do anything for us. We just want the government to stay out of our way so that we have the opportunity to follow our dreams. And uh, so that's the, the benefit of America. Wherever you have kings, they want to dictate what everybody does. And you can't switch careers. You can't get an idea and make an invention because the king can find out about it and take it. Uh, There's no copyright protection. Um, And so people are not motivated to go the extra mile and stay up all night to create something because it'll be taken away from them. And in America, you have this freedom that 
Uh, you know, I was reading about uh, Cairo, Egypt, and the Christians there are called garbage people because they can never hold a job higher than a Muslim. And so they spend their lives digging through garbage to eke out a living. Uh, the structure of, of the society prevents their upward mobility. If you were born in India, in the lowest caste called an untouchable, and you, um, uh, your lot in life is to clean the sewers. And even if you do a really, really good job, you never graduate and become a Brahmin. They're near divinity uh, in the social structure in India. Um, the this, this structure limits your upward mobility. If you're a Christian in North Korea and you're caught sharing the gospel, you're sentenced to a labor camp the rest of your life. The structure of the society limits your upward mobility. In America, you're not limited. You can decide where you want to live, who you want to marry, what clothes you want to wear. I, I was in Dusseldorf, Germany, going through the museum, and they had mannequins with fancy dresses, and then they had these ones with drab, gray, and brown. And lo and behold, the king decided what color the people wore, and the peasants could only wear grays and browns. The, the king is sort of like Sharia, where the women have to wear burqas. The government decides what you wear. Hmm. Uh, and so in, in America, if you like, decide what you want to wear and where you want to go to church and what career path you want to take. And if you want to switch career paths, you can do this. You apply yourself. You, you study hard. You work hard. You can, you're free to pursue uh, and discover those gifts and callings that God put in your life. You don't have to, uh, you know, when like in Europe, it's become so socialist. If you're a little kid and you, you don't pass a certain grade level test, your entire education track is limited and you can no longer be a doctor or an engineer. Uh, you end up having to take a manual labor job, but, but the government decides your future. You can't say, oh, I, I've, I've suddenly decided I'm going to apply myself. And I, uh, so, so the gift that our founding fathers gave us is that you get to be in charge of your life. You get to be the king of your life. And, and um, you know, the word kings have subjects who are subjected to, to their will. Uh, you know, dictators, communist czar, you know, Russian czars, they, they all control. The word citizen is Greek, and it means a co-ruler, Mm. A co-region, a co-king. We're all citizens of the United States. We're all co-kings. Yes, and that so reminds me of a scripture kings. that we, the scripture says that we are kings and priests uh, in in the book of uh, the book of Revelation. Uh, and, and so, then it says, you know, in the book of Revelation that that, that, that you know the the kings take off their crowns and throw it at the feet of the <laughs> Lord. You know, and, and so we voluntarily get to submit ourselves to the King of Kings. Yes, L Bill. The let me ask you. In the minute or so that it is left in this segment, because of the whole the second hour, we're going to go a different direction. Would you be so kind as to give a declaration to the Christian listeners of this radio show, <clears throat> encouraging us to stay the course? And if we are faithful to uh, to God and his word as we pursue uh, Judeo-Christian values in this nation, he will intervene and intercede in our behalf. If we do not, then th this nation's up for grabs. So would you spend the next minute or so left in this segment to, uh, to proclaim that to our listeners, th the encouragement to stay the course uh, with Judeo-Christian values because God has a plan, and he will accomplish that plan if we are obedient to him? 
Would you be so kind? Yes, yes. Uh, and, and God answers prayer many times through other people. You have a need. Somebody feels led to help you meet the need. Uh, you feel led to donate and help somebody's need. So God answers prayer, but he does it through people. Guess what? He does the same thing with government. You pray for the government to change, what happens? He moves upon people to get involved. And so the, the setting that we have in America is the people are the king. Guess what? 70% of the people in America are Christian. That's according to Pew Forum, P-E-W. They do surveys. So people in America are the king. 70% are Christian. The Christians could turn this country any way they want. And uh, so, the, so the, the pastor is, in a sense, a counselor to the king. So 70% of Christians, they go to church, and the pastor's talking to the king every day, the king sitting in their pews. And you have two kinds of pastors. One tells the king to go to sleep, shirk your responsibility, don't get involved, let the world just go the way it wants and, and just ignore it. Another set of pastors throw ice water on their congregation and says, wake up. Hmm. You don't just have the right to vote in America. You're going to be held accountable to God for what happens. If they're teaching stuff to little kids that Jesus wouldn't teach to little kids, Jesus said, if you cause one of these little ones that believes in me to stumble, it's better that a millstone be put around your neck and be thrown in the depths of the sea. And we, the people, are allowing stuff to be taught to kids that Jesus wouldn't teach. Um, and so we need to realize that we have a serious responsibility, and pastors need to let their congregation know the seriousness that they will be held accountable. The people are the king. Yes. Same way a prophet in the Old Testament would go, you know, Nathan would go to, to David and say, look, this is going to happen. You're the king. I'm confronting you. Pastors need to tell their congregation, look, people, you're the king. If, if something bad's going on, God's going to hold you accountable. My. Um, and so My. Bill Federer, th- 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 this is remarkable, and really what it amounts to is we need to be obedient to our God and entrust Him to help with the solution to these problems. It's not on our shoulders. If we're entrusting Him, then it's on His shoulders, and we can have a lot of peace and confidence in that. My listening friend, this is really an encouragement to you and me as Bill Federer kind of opens our eyes to a different way of looking at government and uh, God's plans for government and governing. Uh, Bill Federer is going to stay with us for this next hour as well, but I'm going to change the gears for this next hour because we're approaching uh, Christmas time. We've, uh, those who embrace the, the Hebrew uh, customs are familiar with Hanukkah, which is, uh, you know, a, a, a factor in this time frame as well. Bill Federer is going to come back and tell a little bit of a historical, historical input on both uh, Hanukkah and Christmas from a perspective, my friends, that you've probably never heard before, and none other than Bill Federer is going to share that with us. So my listening friend, Bill Federer and Kaz, will be right back. More Come Together San Diego with Kaz Taylor is next on FM 106.1 and AM 1210. K-Praise. I'll tell the world, world. Come Together San Diego with Cash Taylor on FM 106.1 and AM 1210. K-Praise. I'll tell the world, world, world. And I'm back with uh, Bill Federer, and I'm going to take this moment with Bill to have him give us some information on how to contact him and contact the wonderful work that he does through uh, AmeriSearch and his uh, radio broadcast called The American Minute. How do we find out more about that, Bill Federer? Well, thank you, Kaz. My website's AmericanMinute.com. And that's it. Go to AmericanMinute.com, and, you, you know, you've just 
you know, we've, we've tried to put a, a water spout on a fire hydrant for the first hour. And uh, because he's got so much information, I, I've, because I've interviewed him before, I know it's like a, a runaway train. He's got so much information. And all, it always boils down to we have so little time to share from ta- to tap into that uh, heart and brain called Bill Federer. Uh, so, Bill, on this next hour, this last hour for the show, I wonder if you would indulge us to talk a little bit about this the Christmas season that is uh, approaching, but also as the Christians uh, celebrate Christmas and the birth of Christ, Jews celebrate the eight days of Hanukkah, and uh, I, I thought you'd spend a little bit of time in this hour sharing insights of both Hanukkah and uh, the Christmas celebration. Look to any common denominators. Uh, there are a few, but also uh, identify the differences of each. So, Bill Federer, uh, lay it on us. Let's let's start with Hanukkah and then work into Christmas. So Hanukkah. Now I know there's eight can eight basically eight uh, candles that are that are lit to uh, represent something. And you said when we talked on the phone before, and you know the the, the Christmas tree has lights that are lit as well. <laughs> that may be the end of the common denominator. I don't know. So I'm going to let you start with Hanukkah and work your way towards Christmas. Bill Federer. Well, the uh, Jews were taken captive to Babylon, and then Cyrus lets them go back and rebuild the temple, and uh, the Persian Empire uh, controls the area uh, until Persia is conquered by Greece, and then Alexander the Great comes, and um, he conquers all the way to India. He dies suddenly. His empire is divided into four. And you have Greece and Macedonia, Egypt under the Ptolemies, and then Persia. And Persia is now ruled by the Seleucids. And there's a Seleucid king named Antiochus Epiphanes. And he decides he's going to wipe out what's left of Israel. And goes in there and makes the priests sacrifice pigs. And he kills the mothers for having their sons circumcised. And and he kills like 80,000 people. It's terrible. And and this one priest, um, Matthias, uh, refused to sacrifice a pig because it would defile him as a priest. He turns instead, kills the uh, soldier. And then his sons start a revolt called the Maccabean Revolt. Uh, Maccabee means hammer. And they finally drive the um, uh, Greeks out, Syrians out, the Seleucids out. Uh, you read it, they're called different names, but they're the, the descendants of that general that was Alexander the Great's general, uh, Seleucius. And uh, so finally, the Maccabees drive out the uh, Seleucid army, and uh, they go back to relighting the, the temple. They clean it out. It's been trashed. And there's a menorah, a candlestick, and it's got seven um, uh, golden uh, oil lamps. And uh, there's only enough holy oil to light it for one day that they find, you know, in the back room of the temples there. And um, it takes about a week to prepare more holy oil. And nevertheless, they pour the oil in and it burns for a day, but it continues to burn for an entire week. And by that time, they have it. And so the uh, the eighth uh, 
candle in the in the, the Hanukkah menorah is the lighting candle. So they take that that you know, the eighth one and they light the other seven with it. But um, uh, so the it's called the feast of dedication and or Hanukkah. The word Hanukkah means dedication. And so this was around 164 BC, and the Jews continue to celebrate this every year. And lo and behold, Jesus celebrated Hanukkah. So in the book of John, it says Jesus was in Jerusalem for the Feast of Dedication, walking among Solomon's porch. And they came to him and they said, um, you know, tell us plainly, are you the Christ? And so forth. So um, Jesus himself honored Hanukkah. And uh, so that's where the lights at that time of year came from. And, uh, you know, how it got onto the Christmas tree uh, is a whole nother story. um, you know, the Germans overran the Europe uh, during the Roman Empire period. And one of the German groups um, worshipped a god named Thor. And that's where we get, get the word Thursday. Thursday comes from Thursday. And they worshipped another pagan god, god called Woden. That's where we get the word Wednesday, Woden's Day. And so there is a missionary from Britain. His name is Boniface. And around the, the year 780 or so, he goes to Germany and he chops down Thor's tree. Thor evidently lived in a big oak tree and they would do human sacrifice in front of this oak tree. And St. Boniface chops this tree down and then he turns and there's an evergreen tree. And he says, let this be the tree of the Christ child. See how it points toward heaven. Its leaves are evergreen, symbolizing everlasting life. Your houses are built of the wood from this tree, the cedar tree, the pine tree. Um, And um, so let it shelter no deeds of blood and so forth. And so there is in one of the towns in this area of Germany, in the middle of town, there's a statue of St. Boniface on the stump of the tree. And he has an axe in his hand because he chopped it down. And um, so the Germans uh, used this tree as a Christian representation. But the story is Martin Luther was coming home one night, and the sky is filled full of stars, and he uh, decides to put some candles in the branches of the evergreen tree and tells his children it's like the sky above Bethlehem on the night of Christ's birth. And so where did they get the idea for lights at that time of year? Well, maybe from the Hanukkah candles that were being lit all the way back from 164 B.C. <laughs> and so uh, now the date of Christmas is sort of interesting. The Bible says that Zacharias is the father of John the Baptist, and he is in Jerusalem, and he's in the temple, and he's offering incense when the angel appears to him, tells him he's going to have a son. He doesn't believe it. He's struck mute until the son's born, and he says his name shall be John. We're familiar with that story. Yes. And if you read it real slow, it says that Zacharias was of the family of Abijah, and he was taking his turn in the temple. And lo and behold, in the book of Chronicles, King David is the one who took the Levites, the sons of Aaron, um, and he broke them into 24 groups, and they each took a turn twice a year taking care of the temple. And the Abijah family took care of the temple at the end of September, which would have included the uh, Feast of 
the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. And when you read the story of Zechariah, it says he is in the temple at the altar offering incense, and all the people were outside praying. And the description really fits the way that the Day of Atonement was celebrated. Now, the Day of Atonement is usually around September 25th. It's a Hebrew month, and they use a lunar calendar, but if you translate it into the Roman calendar, it comes out around September 25th. So and you're so, saying that, that the Christmas celebration was really originally tied to uh, the feast? The feast of, what did you say, ta- tabernacles? Wow. Well, so, so, so well, we're, I'm laying out the, the timeline. And so, uh, so John the Baptist was conceived probably around September 25th. Six months later is March 25th, and the Bible has the angel Gabriel appearing to Mary. says, the Holy Spirit's going to come on you. You're going to be pregnant and with the, the Jesus, the Son of God, and your cousin Elizabeth is in her six months of pregnancy. And so Mary goes to Elizabeth, and she's six months pregnant. Well, if, if Mary gets pregnant on September 25th, the date of this visit between Elizabeth and Mary would be March 25th. So Elizabeth gets pregnant September 25th, and that means Mary would have gotten pregnant six months later, March 25th. So that's the traditional uh, annunciation where the angel announced to Mary that she's going to have baby Jesus. So nine months after March 25th, is December 25th. My, my, my. And so Never that's knew that. the traditional way that the birth of Jesus is calculated. My, my, Bill Federer, and, uh, I knew I, you're a, a man of great wisdom, and I, I have never seen that before, and I'm sure my listeners haven't done the math on that before as well. My friends, it's amazing uh, the, the history behind these things and how we get from one place to another. In the next segment, uh, Bill is actually going to spend some time talking to us about the... Uh, the, the 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 person Saint Nick or Saint Nicholas and even a little bit about Chris Kringle you'll be amazed at uh, the stories that are tied to this and it's going to open your eyes as to what these uh, holidays uh, are and. Uh, what they've become, and how God wants to restore himself right in the thick of this. Bill Federer and Kaz will be right back. This is Come Together San Diego, the new live local show on FM 106.1 and AM 1210. K-Praise. More Come Together San Diego is just moments away. Here's Kaz Taylor. We are back with Bill Federer of American Minute and Search and what a, what a resource he is for anybody who wants to know anything. <laughs> I would say about anything, but I'll just limit it to uh, biblical history and American history. What remarkable, Bill Federer. We're honored to have you for this entire two hours. Uh, Bill, you know, one of the things that I've heard from you before is some insights on the name St. Nick or St. Nicholas. Uh, and I, 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 as I recall, it had some, uh, some Greek origins. Um, would you tell us the story about St. Nick, uh, where it began, and how it has perhaps evolved to that uh, uh, Coca-Cola guy with a big red suit, <laughs> Bill Federer? <laughs> right. Well, well, thank you. Well, St. Saint, saint Nicholas is the most popular Greek Orthodox saint. He is to the Greeks what St. Patrick is to the Irish, what St. Peter is to Roman Catholics. And he lived during the Roman times. 
Now, the first three centuries of Christianity, there are ten major persecutions, and Christians are thrown to the lions. And the worst was the last under Diocletian. He wanted to exterminate Christianity, and it was during this time that is when Nicholas lived. So he was born in Patara, Asia Minor. Today, that's Turkey. And when he's a young man, his parents die, and he's an only child, so he inherits a lot of money. And a movement swept through Christianity at the time called Pietism. It's the beginning of the monasticism movement, where if you really become a Christian, you're expected to give away all your money and join a monastery. And so he gives away his money, but he wants to do it anonymously because he wants the credit to go to God and not to him. And so he would sneak into town at nighttime and throw money in the window of poor people. And the story is that sometimes it would land in a shoe or a stocking that was drying by the fireplace. Well, one story became popular. A merchant in the town of Patara had gone bankrupt. And back then, the creditors would not only come and take your house and lands, they would take your children and sort of like, you know, trafficking and forced marriages and horrible things. And this merchant had three beautiful daughters. He knew if they were taken, it would be a tragic life. And so he he had an idea. He thought if he could hurry up and marry the daughters off, the creditors couldn't take him. Unfortunately, he did not have money for a dowry, which was needed in that area of the world for a legally recognized wedding. Well, Nicholas hears the problem late one night, throws some money in the window, uh, and it's the dowry for the oldest daughter, and she gets married. It's a big buzz talk of the town. Another time, he throws money into the second daughter. She gets married, and when it's the third daughter's time, the dad is expecting it, and he's waiting up. And so when Nicholas (laughs) throws the money in, uh, the dad runs outside and catches him. And Nicholas makes the father promise not to tell where the money came from because he wanted the glory to go to God and not to him. And so this was the origin of the tradition of secret gift giving on the anniversary of Nicholas's death and the midnight visits by St. Nicholas, stockings by the fireplace. And if you go to, you know, old medieval churches and Greek Orthodox churches, they'll have mosaics and icons and stained glass windows of Nicholas on his tippy toes, reaching up, throwing the money in. And inside is the dad with three daughters. And um, now the Greeks have lots and lots of stories about Nicholas. And after he gives away his money, he decides to go to the Holy Land on a pilgrimage and join a monastery, the monastery of Zion. And somehow before he makes his vows, the Lord tells him not to hide his light under a bushel. And so he decides he's going to go back to Asia Minor. Today, that's Turkey. But not before stopping off at Bethlehem and visiting the Church of the Nativity. Is that right? (laughs) So the the picture of St. Nicholas, Santa Claus, kneeling at the crib, you know, there's some historical uh, precedent to that. Matter of fact, Mark Twain visited the Holy Land in, in 1860s, and he wrote a book called Innocence Abroad. And Mark Twain visits the Church of the Nativity, And he writes this, this spot where the first Merry Christmas was uttered in all the world, and from whence the friend of my childhood, Santa Claus, departed on his journey to gladden and continue to gladden the roaring firesides on wintry mornings in many a distant land forever and forever. So even Mark Twain acknowledges, so 
So after he leaves, he goes back, Nichols goes back to Asia Minor today. That's Turkey. He gets off at a busy city called Myra, M-Y-R-A, and unbeknownst to him, the bishop had died. The church leaders could not decide who the next bishop was going to be. And one of them had a dream that the first person in the church the next day would be named Nicholas, and he was to be their bishop. Sure enough, he's the first one. They bring him in the back. They break the news to him. And he was not too thrilled, because (laughs) at the time, the Roman emperor, Diocletian, was arresting bishops and killing them. So it was sort of like, you be the bishop. No, 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 I insist, you first. (laughs) No, 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 you be the bishop. And um, so he finally agrees. He is arrested. He's put in prison, awaiting death. But then Diocletian is struck with an intestinal disease so painful, he abdicates the throne on May 1st, 305 A.D., And this is the first time ever a Roman emperor stepped down. And you have to appreciate the poetic humor in this. Because by this time, Roman emperors were declaring themselves a god, sprinkling gold dust in their hair, and demanding that their image be worshipped. So this was sort of like a god resigning. And um, he takes up farming in Dalmatia on the other side of the Adriatic from Rome. And the next emperor is Galerius. And he continues the persecution of Christians. He is struck with an intestinal disease, and he dies in 311 A.D. And so now it's a toss-up uh, <laughs> between four generals who are going to fight it out as to who the next emperor is going to be. Two of them are quickly defeated. Finally comes down to Constantine and Maxentius. So Constantine is a general stationed at York, Britain. When his men get the news that the emperor died, they surround him and they yell, Hail Caesar. In other words, we're with you. And so he marches toward Rome and he fights Maxentius at the Battle of the Milvian Bridge, October 28, 312 AD. And he wins. And the day before the battle, Constantine claims to have seen the sign of Christ in the sky. And he puts it on all the shields and symbols. And the sign he saw was the first two Greek letters for Christ. So we abbreviate states oftentimes with two letters in the first two Mm -hmm. letters. And so the first Christ is a Greek name, and the first letter of Christ is the one that makes the ka sound, and it's written as X, and it's called the chi. And the second letter that makes the er sound, Christ, er, is written as a P, and it's called rho. And so the big XP that you see on, you know, fourth century Roman uh, church, you know, signs um, is called the Cairo. And over the centuries, it was shortened just to the Chi, and it was called the Christ cross or crisscross. <laughs> and that's where we get the X hyphen M-A-S. My, my, my. And so the X is not crossing out Christ. It's the Greek letter that stood for Christ. My, my, my. It came to be the form of a written oath. So if you were going to sign a document and swear before Christ you are going to tell the truth, you would sw- sign at the Christ cross or the X. Sign my, at the my, X. my, So, so, so this, this whole thing about the Xmas that we see, we, we go, oh, that's a, a, a violation of uh, our faith, and it's downgrading or degrading the, the Christ, but in real its its roots are actually f- based on, on uh, uh, Christ-honoring symbol, symbolism. And that's just absolutely amazing. My listening friend, uh, are, are you getting your eyes open? A lot of these things I've never heard before, but trust uh, Bill Federer to uh, uh, be the bearer of these things. I'm gonna we're gonna have to go into the next segment in just a moment. We've <laughs> found out some interesting things about Saint Nick uh, 
and uh, and some of the things that we we embrace about the Christmas season, and we go, eh, that's kind of a violation of the Christ story. In many ways, uh, the Christ story is embedded in these things. You just have to know where to look. I'm going to ask Bill in the next segment to tell us the truths that he knows about the other name that St. Nicholas goes by besides Santa Claus. It's St. Nick and also Chris Kringle. We're going to talk a little bit about the history behind Chris Kringle. Stay with us because uh, during this Christmas season, it's helpful to have these things in your hip pocket for when you go around the table on uh, the different suppers that you're going to be uh, uh, spending and you're going to be a paragon of wisdom and all thanks to the wisdom of uh, Bill Federer. So Bill Federer, Chris Kringle and Kaz will be right back. You're listening to Come Together San Diego, the new live local show on FM 106.1 and AM 1210. K-Praise. Don't just listen to it. Be a part of it at 866-577-2473. You're just moments away from more Come Together San Diego on K-Praise. FM 106.1 and AM 1210, K-Praise. And we're back. Uh, Bill Federer, the American Minute guy and Amerisearch. Bill, um, we're going to talk in this segment uh, about another name that... uh, that Santa Claus goes by. We talked a little bit about St. Nick in the previous segment. Would you uh, open our eyes to the name Chris Kringle? Where in the world did that come from? Uh, does it have a, a biblical base? Uh, tell us the story, Bill Federer. Well, there's a couple of pieces in the in the middle that I, I need to fill in in order to get there. Okay. Um, uh, so here we have Nicholas is let out of jail when Constantine becomes the emperor, and now he preaches publicly against paganism. And so nearby to where he is, Myra, is Ephesus and the temple to Diana at Ephesus. And this was an enormous temple, twice as big as the Acropolis in um Athens, and it was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, 127 huge pillars and temple prostitutes. It was the Las Vegas of the Mediterranean. The Apostle Paul preached against Diana worship at Ephesus in Acts chapter 19, and so does Nicholas. And the people there get so stirred up, they tear the temple to Diana down. So Nicholas would have been a real fire and brimstone preacher. And during this time, they outlawed the Olympics. Right, the pagan Olympics—they sort of ran them as races and wrestled without clothes on. We'll get into it all, but um, and then Nicholas preached against exposure of unwanted infants. What's that? Well, the Roman practice was the mother would bear the child and lay it at the father's feet. If he picked it up and liked it, they got to keep it. If the father did not pick it up, the mother had to put it in a basket outside the door and expose it to the elements, and it would die. My, my. And a lot of the Christians would hear the babies crying and rescue them. That's where we get those stories of, you know, the mother puts the baby in a basket in front of an old person's house and knocks the door, knocks on the door, runs away, and the old couple comes out and sees the baby and adopts it, right? Because that was the Romans. It was their version of abortion. And so Nicholas preached against exposure of unwanted infants. 
he would have been a pro-life preacher today. <laughs> and then the first major church heresy starts. The first three centuries of Christianity, there are ten major persecutions. Christians don't live long enough to argue over doctrine. And now Constantine legalized Christianity. A guy named Arius starts the Arian heresy, says Jesus is a created being, he's a little less than God, and it splits the church. And since Constantine made Christianity the de facto religion of Rome, now it's splitting the Roman Empire. So Constantine orders all the bishops to Nicaea to settle it. It's the first time in history that all the bishops from the entire world come together in one spot in Nicaea. 325 AD, it's a short distance from Myra, where Nicholas is, and they settle it with the Nicene Creed. And the story is that Nicholas was so upset at Arius and he slapped him across the face for starting the Arian heresy. So you better watch out. And St. Nicholas is coming to town. He's got a little <laughs> temper there, right? And, uh, and then we see uh, they, he confronted corrupt governors. There was one governor who's going to execute somebody and blame it on some soldiers. And Nicholas hears about it, breaks through the crowd, grabs the executioner's sword, throws it down, and then in front of everybody tells what this corrupt governor was doing. The governor realizes nobody could know the details other than God, and so he repents. And um, and then there's a miracle of him calming the sea uh, so the sailors could get back. Another story of um, the people were starving, and he talks some of the sailors to unload their grain to feed his people, promises God would bless them. And they said that uh, on their return trip that the grain that was left had multiplied like Elijah and the little widow's meal barrel. Uh, he dies on December 6, 343 A.D., and Justinian, the Roman emperor, builds a big church, names it after him. And then Vladimir the Great, the emperor of Russia, decides to uh, join the Eastern Orthodox Church, and he adopts Nicholas as the patron saint of Russia. So, so St. Nicholas was the patron Nicholas. saint of Russia? Right. Oh, my. And, and then, then the Muslims invade into Greece. And they're destroying churches and museums and libraries and artwork and graves. And the Muslims are headed toward... Matter of fact, all seven churches mentioned in the book of Revelation were wiped out by the Muslim Turks. All the letters in the New Testament to Ephesus and Colossae and Galatia and Philippi and Corinth, all those cities were wiped out by Muslim Turks. And so as the Muslim Turks are getting close to Myra, the Christians don't want the grave of their famous St. Nicholas destroyed. They move his grave over to Italy in the year 1087 and to a little town called Bari, B-A-R-I. They're still there. It's a big cathedral, Cathedral Niccolo de Bari, Cathedral of Niccolo de Bari. The pope that dedicates the church is Urban II. Now, the listeners may not be up on all their pope names, but that's the same Urban II that goes to the Council of Claremont and begs these European kings to send help to these Greek Christians that are getting killed. They send help. It's called the First Crusade. So the same pope that welcomes the Nicholas traditions to Western Europe is the same one who calls for the First Crusade to rescue these Greek Christians. Anyway, now that Nicholas is so ironically, if it was not for Islamic Jihad, we may not have had Santa Claus in the West. Um, <laughs> the, the gift giving in Italy uh, becomes popular, so much so that in 1223, St. Francis of Assisi, sort of in protest, comes up with the nativity scene, the crush scene. Jesus, Mary, Joseph, donkeys in the manger. In other words, the gift giving is fine, but it's too materialistic, a distraction from Jesus. We need to get back to the real reason for the season. Jesus, the Son of God, was born in the manger. 
And then we get to the Reformation, getting close to answering your question. <laughs> Martin Luther, 1517. And by this time, there is a saint's day for every day of the year. Churches are filled full of hundreds of statues, and Martin Luther considers this a distraction from Christ. So he ends the saint's days in Protestant countries, including the popular St. Nicholas Day. But the Germans like the gift-giving. So Martin Luther moves all the gift-giving to December 25th and tells them that all gifts come from the Christ child. And the German pronunciation of Christ child is Chris Kindle. Kindergarten, wow. kinder care, Kindle means child, Chris means Christ, so Chris Kindle means Christ child. Over the years, Chris Kindle got pronounced Chris Kringle. My, my. So let me, let me back up here just for a second. So it was Martin Luther who moved the day of the giving of gifts to December 25th to emphasize that all the gifts come from the Christ child. And in German, the pronunciation of the Christ child is Chris Kindle. And from that, we right. get Chris Kringle. How amazing is that? So the story uh, continues, Bill. Uh, and so then we um, look at uh, England. And Henry VIII brings the Reformation to England, not because he had a spiritual experience. He just wanted another wife. <laughs> and the Pope wouldn't recognize his divorce. He decided <laughs> to make himself his own Pope. And anyway, during Henry VIII's time in England, Christmas becomes a party time. People forget Mardi Gras was the day before Lent when you would fast 40 days before Easter. And now Mardi Gras is not a spiritual day. It's this lewd party in New Orleans. That's sort of what happened with Christmas in England under Henry VIII. It became this drinking, carousing, partying. Uh, he, Henry brings back an old Roman holiday, Saturnalia, because Britain used to be a Roman colony. And Saturnalia was this party time at the end of the year. Saturn was their god of feasting and plenty and merriment. If you ever saw the Christmas Carol with Charles Dickens, and you see the spirit of Christmas present, and he's this big guy with robes, a wreath in his hair, a goblet of wine, sort of a happy party guy. And you're looking at him asking yourself, who is this guy? He sort of looks like Santa, but he also sort of looks like some Roman god. Oh, that was Saturn, but they Christianized him and called him Father Christmas. Whoa, 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 whoa. really? So they, they, they called this, this character, this person, Father Christmas. Right. They couldn't call him St. Nicholas because saints were outlawed after the Reformation took place. Oh, my, now, they did my. keep a couple saints in England, like Michael and so forth. Um, but uh, St. Nicholas Day was no longer on the calendar. Um, but uh, the Dutch, so, so the Puritans took over England. Bill, Bill I'm gonna, we've only got a minute left in this segment. I'm, I want you to save this juicy stuff for the next segment. My, my listening friend, are you, are you listening to this? You know, we, we celebrate Christmas. We have celebrated Christmas for all of our lives. You don't really realize the history behind this, and amazingly enough, there's a lot of uh, uh, not only history of the church, but history of Christ himself in the midst of this. This is absolutely amazing. Uh, in the last segment, I'm going to have Bill Federer uh, put periods at the end of all the ellipsis that we've been getting so far and, uh, and come to some conclusions here about Christmas and the now, uh, and uh, as he finishes this story in the next segment, but we're also going to talk a little bit about... <laughs> 
<laughs> some of the books that Bill Federer has written and maybe even give you a way that you can order those things right away. Uh, in fact, one of them is, is there really a Santa Claus? So uh, we're going to uh, put a period at the end of these sentences with Bill Federer of uh, uh, AmeriSearch and the American Minute. And uh, so Bill and I are going to tie things together in a nice bow or ribbon and uh, oh wait a minute well that's a vernacular that's tied to Christmas how amazing is that so Bill and I are going to tie a bow around it (laughs) when we come back this is Come Together San Diego the new live local show on FM 106.1 and AM 1210 K-Praise more Come Together San Diego is just moments away now, more of Come Together San Diego on K-Praise. Here's Kaz Taylor. Hi there, back with Bill Federer, Amerisurge, and the American Minute radio broadcast throughout the uh, nation. Uh, Bill, you've, you've covered a lot of space here in this last hour. We talked about... Uh, the origins of uh, St. Nicholas, uh, St. Nick and St. Nicholas Day and and uh, and Martin Luther, his involvement in that and how he instructed that the gifts be given on December 25th to keep the focus on the Christ child. And the German pronunciation of the Christ child is Chris Kindle, which comes from which comes the pronunciation Chris Kringle <laughs> you talked a little bit about Father Christmas my goodness I'm, 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 my brain is ab- absolutely swimming what would you like to do to tie a ribbon around this whole thing and present it as a gift to our listeners but leave time a few minutes at least at the at the end of this bill we want to talk about um, the, the books that you've written and how maybe somebody can go visit your website and find out more about these books maybe even in time for Christmas if not in time for the brand new year. So, uh, Bill Federer, uh, tie a bow around the things that you've shared with us about this season. Well, during the uh, period of England under Henry VIII, Christmas becomes a party time. Uh, Reverend uh, Puritans uh, actually took over England and outlawed Christmas. The Puritans settled Massachusetts. They had a five-shilling fine for anybody caught celebrating Christmas. Puritan leader in Massachusetts, Cotton Mather, said, can you and your conscience think that our Holy Savior is honored by hard drinking and lewd gaming and mad mirth? Uh, You cannot possibly think so. Uh, So it was the Dutch that settled New York that loved Christmas and loved St. Nicholas. A little bit on the Dutch. So uh, the tradition goes back to... uh, the visits. Now, remember the Catholic saying that St. Peter is at the gates of heaven? Many people have heard that. The Greeks do a saying based on the book of Revelation that Jesus will return at the end of the world to judge the living and the dead riding a white horse. And, um, and the saints will come back with him riding white horses. And St. Nicholas is a saint, after all, so he'll be one of those riding a white horse. But he's so special to the Greeks and the Dutch, uh, he comes back once a year for a little mini-judgment, a little <laughs> check-up on the kids, make sure they're on the right track, see who's naughty, see who's nice. Saints come from where? Heaven, the celestial city, New Jerusalem. That turns into the North Pole. And in Norway, they didn't have horses. He's riding a reindeer. And the Lamb's Book of Life and Book of Works turns into the Book of the Naughty and the Nice, and the angels turn into the elves. And so 
in Holland, they still have St. Nicholas coming once a year as a saint, as a bishop, with his mitered hat, his staff, his robes, and he's riding a white horse. Oh, my. Now, they have him coming from Spain, and he has with him a little helper named Zvarte Pete. He's a Moor, a Muslim. And they tell the kids, if you're good, Nicholas will give you a present. If you're naughty, Zvarte Pete will put you in a gunny sack, take you back to Spain, and sell you into Muslim slavery. People forget, for a thousand years, the Muslims slaved over a million Europeans. There were Catholic orders in Europe called the Trinitarians, and the head of the order was called the Ransomer. And they would collect alms and donations to ransom back your friend who was captured by Muslim pirates. And so it's um, the, the seriousness of this, I was talking to somebody from Holland. And he said, yeah, the night before St. Nicholas visited, we'd all be scared, and all the little boys would go to sleep with pocket knives in their pockets. I said, why is that? He goes, that's to cut ourselves out of the gunny sack. It's Mark Day Pete took us. Anyway, the Dutch really liked the St. Nicholas traditions. They settled New Amsterdam, which became New York. And in New York, you had somebody very important to the story, Washington Irving. He wrote Rip Van Winkle, Legend of Sleepy Hollow, named the city Gotham City. And in his book, Dietrich Knickerbocker's History of New York, Washington, 1809, he writes about St. Nicholas coming once a year to visit the children, riding in his wagon over the treetops, throwing out presents to his favorites down the chimneys. But he describes St. Nicholas not dressed as a bishop, but in a typical Dutch outfit of long trunk hose, a leather belt, stocking hat, and boots. Well, then in New York, you have Clement Moore. He's a Hebrew professor. His family donates land for the Episcopal Church Seminary. Matter of fact, there's a park in New York, 10th and 22nd, named the Clement Moore Park. And so Clement Moore writes a poem for his children, 1823, titled, a visit from St. Nick. Nicholas. <laughs> so it was the night before Christmas, and all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care in hopes that St. Nicholas would soon be there. So he's still St. Nicholas, but he shrunk. Now he's a right jolly, plump old elf. I laughed when I saw him in spite of myself. Uh, and then we get a little further into the 1800s, the Civil War. And there's an illustrator for Harper's Weekly Magazine named Thomas Nast, N-A-S-T. We know him because he invented the Republican elephant and the Democrat mule in right? political cartoons. He's the first one to have a cover picture of St. Nicholas uh, sitting on his wagon of toys addressing the Union troops. And in the background is a North Pole sign. That's actually the first time that it was the North Pole sign. Again, before that, it was heaven. And this was actually a political jab at the Confederate South to say St. Nicholas is associated with the North. (laughs) And then you have, now now St. Nicholas in Dutch is pronounced Saint Nicholas. Oh my! If you say Saint Nicholas a couple times. You're yes, to exactly. Hey, Bill, we've well, only got Santa three minutes Claus. left in this entire show, so I want you to so, so, c- uh, close this uh, up because uh, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about your books. Go ahead. Well, thank you, Kaz. Um, Coca-Cola pioneered mass marketing. It's the best trademark name in the world. 1930, they hired an artist, Haddon Sundblom. We know him because he created the Quaker Oats Man and Aunt Jemima Syrup. And so he does a painting every year for 33 years of Santa Claus drinking Coke. 
And so this is the image spread around the world and is the most recognizable one today. So Nicholas has grown. He's full size again. He's a rosy <laughs> cheeks, ruddy complexion, nice, huggable grandfather. Um, but if you look back in history, in the fourth century, Asia Minor, today that's Turkey, there really was a Nicholas who loved Jesus so much that he went into the ministry and he became a bishop, and he was imprisoned by the Romans for his faith, facing death. Nicholas was ready to die for his Christian faith. He's out, he preaches, he defends the Trinity, Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. He preaches against sexual immorality and pagan temples and exposure of unwanted infants. He confronts corrupt politicians. He would have been speaking out against the politics today. But he was very generous, and he gave to the poor, but he wanted to do it anonymously because he wanted the glory to go to God and not to himself. Bill, Bill Federer, how, how remarkable is this? We've got about a minute left, but I want you to spend just a moment of time. Just You've got a lot of books out there. You're a prolific writer. One of them is uh, There Really Is a Santa Claus. But how can we find out more about your books in the next, uh, say, 45 seconds I have, then I have to close the show? It's hard to let you go, Bill Federer. Sure, sure. So well, quickly give that to us. My website's AmericanMinute.com, and I have all my books on there, and also send out a free daily history email, so all the stories like I just shared, and there's one for every day. Um, we just uh, sold out of the uh, Santa Claus book, so you can order it online. Go to Amazon.com and type in, you know, there really is a Santa Claus, William J. Federer, and you'll pull up the book, and they, they can get it to you in a day. But to all the rest of the books, you can go to our website, AmericanMinute.com. Bill Federer, man, oh, man, I, I, you know, we, we've done interviews before, but this just strikes me. You're such an amazing guy. You're a go-to guy when you want to know anything about anything America, anything biblical history. You're the guy. Bill Federer, it's always an honor to visit with you, and uh, this time is no different. Bill Federer, the you, American Jeff. Minute and AmeriSearch. Uh, thank you so much, Bill. Uh, give, give me a quick sentence of blessing to our listeners, and then Kaz and Bill will be on our way. Ho, ho, ho. Well, uh, God, God bless us, everyone, and uh, Merry Christmas to all, and to all a good night. <laughs> Merry Christmas to all, and to all a good night. Thanks for joining Chaz Taylor and his many friends, including you, for Come Together San Diego. Join us again next week as we explore what unity in the body of Christ sounds like within this county and beyond on Come Together San Diego. Tell a friend, tell a neighbor, tell a co-worker, and then let's all come together San Diego next Saturday from 5 to 7 p.m. on FM 106.1 and AM 1210. K-Praise. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. 
Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.